0: living as a pleasing sacrifice to the Lord, as living empowered by grace, received by faith from Christ. Let us pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, open our hearts, enable me to be a faithful preacher, enable us to be faithful hearers, transform us to your word. May we not be conformed to this world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Our refrigerator in our kitchen is adorned with priceless art, art that was offered to us. And you would look at these pieces of artwork and you would wonder why on earth would anyone keep these on their refrigerator, they probably belong in the trash. But to Renee and me, they are masterpieces because they're drawn by our grandchildren. The relationship is what makes the difference. That's what makes them priceless to us. Of course, we receive them as if Someone was giving us a Rembrandt. Well, maybe not quite that, but you get the point that I'm making. And here's the question for us today. What are we offering to God? Last week, we focused on the practical implications of holding fast in Christ by faith in living a virtuous life. And today, we are focused and looking at the practical implications of holding fast in Christ by faith by living as a sacrifice to God. The flow of the author's argument may be understood in this way. Grace empowers the Christian life. That grace is received outside the camp as we embrace the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we live empowered by His grace, God is pleased with us as living sacrifices. So our text this morning will focus on a life empowered by grace, a life oriented towards heaven, and a life pleasing to the Lord. First, what are we offering to God? A, A life empowered By adding works righteousness to faith or a life empowered by grace? Verse 9 tells us it's a life empowered by grace. The author declared, as we considered last week in verse 8, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is, he is fixed. He is unchangeable. Christian doctrine is fixed. It is unchangeable. We have a fixed orthodoxy. And having declared this, the author now warns the believer not to reject sound doctrine by being led astray, as he says in verse 9, by these diverse and strange teachings being led astray into heresy. And the specifics of verse 9 appear to deal with certain doctrines associated with the dietary laws of Judaism and temple worship, these being inconsistent with Christian orthodoxy. Several years ago, a young man who lived in another city who attended a church in another denomination, in other words, you don't know him at all, was rather quick to tell me that he had given up dessert for Lent, Lent being the 40 days before Christmas. And he proudly spoke about the fact that this, this act of not eating dessert For those 40 days would somehow make him more uh, spiritual, would be a benefit to his heart. Does observing religious rituals or regulations such as eating certain foods or abstaining from eating other foods in and of themselves strengthen our soul, strengthen our heart? The author here in Hebrews not only rejects the notion that food and drink strengthen the heart, but actually says if you buy into that, you are falling into heresy, diverse and strange teachings. He warns against being led away by this heretical understanding The likely problem addressed here in verse 9 was the original recipients of this letter were being pressured to forsake Christ, as I've said just about every sermon that I've preached out of Hebrews, pressured to forsake Christ and to embrace Judaism, and they were probably compromising. They were probably engaged in syncretism. Yeah, I believe in Jesus, but you know what? I think I'm going to hang on to those dietary laws of Judaism and temple Worship. And the author has already stated that gifts and sacrifices concerning food and drink and various washings cannot perfect the conscience. That is, cannot touch the soul. Look at chapter 9 and verse 10. Listen to what Paul said in Romans 14:17: for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy. In the Holy Spirit, Colossians 2, 16 and 17, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are shadows of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And 1 Corinthians 8, 8, very clearly, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. Do we still hang on to works righteousness, thinking, adding our human effort, even our righteous acts to faith in Christ, will somehow benefit us spiritually, make us more acceptable to God, give us a closer walk with God? Well, let me tell you something. The Apostle Peter Peter tried this. God taught Peter in the vision of the unclean and clean animals. Remember in Acts 10, the sheep came down. Peter was on the rooftop, saw this vision, clean and unclean animals in the sheet. God basically saying, Peter, the distinction between clean and unclean animals is abrogated. That distinction that separated Jew and Gentile is no longer in effect. You can associate with Gentiles. And right after that, what do do we see? Peter going to Cornelius' house, entering in, fellowshipping with these Gentiles, preaching the gospel, conversion takes place. It was about thirteen years after Acts chapter ten. Peter compromised. Syncretism. He bought into the circumcisions party diverse and strange teaching. That Gentiles had to observe the rite of circumcision, had to obey the dietary regulations, had to observe these special days in order to be a first-class real christian in other words peter bought into a person's work righteousness being added to their faith in christ syncretism and paul's response to peter was as stern as paul ever got he not only charged Peter with embracing a gospel, that was no gospel at all, but he said, "Peter, be accursed. Peter be damned. Peter be anathematized." Are we adding works of righteousness? Some ritual. Attending church, tithing, abstaining from food or drink, are we adding that to our faith in Christ, thinking that it will strengthen us spiritually, make us more acceptable to God, make us more of a first class. Christian, the author calls this diverse and strange teaching. Hebrews thirteen nine rather says, For it is good, it is pleasing to God for the heart to be strengthened by grace. To be strengthened by grace means we're trusting in Jesus only for salvation. We're trusting in Jesus only for all that we need to live as his disciple, to, to hold fast in Christ by faith. We're trusting in Christ only for the grace we need to strengthen us to live the Christian life. It is on his merit that we have a closer walk with God. It is Jesus plus nothing else that commends us to God. And so you may be asking, well, what does all this look like? I'll tell you what it looks like. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3 and look at verses 14 through 19. This is the application of this point. This is what this text is calling us to do, to live by faith in receiving the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to strengthen us. Paul prayed this, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth, his name, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, which is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Paul did not pray, Lord, allow them to add their works righteousness to faith that they may be strengthened. No, he said, strengthen them through faith, pouring out the love of Christ, the Holy Spirit working in them. Living as a pleasing sacrifice to the Lord is living empowered by grace. And then the question becomes, where, where do we find the grace? Second, what are we offering to God? A life oriented towards the things of this world or the things of heaven. Look at verses 10 through 14. Is it true that a person can be so heavenly minded that they are no earthly good? Well, this is what C.S. Lewis said about that in Mere Christianity. A continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking. But one of the things a Christian is meant to do, it is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world, they have become ineffective in this world. Already in Hebrews, the the author has directed our gaze, directed our orientation away from this world, away from the city of man, to the city that is to come the city of God, heaven. In fact, in chapter 13 and verse 14, our text today, he encourages readers to be heavenly-minded and oriented away from Jerusalem, away from the city of man, to the, to the city that is to come. In chapter 11 and verse 10, he says this, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, Whose designer and builder is God? Further in the Hall of Fame of Faith, in verse 16, "But as it is, the desire, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city." Hebrews 12:22, "But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gatherings. Look at verse 13. We, we, we see this movement of, of orientation from the things of this world to the things of heaven. The author exhorted believers, go to him, that is, go to Christ outside the camp and bear the reproach, that is, the stigma he endured on the cross. This reflects a heavenly-oriented life, a Christ-oriented life, a life that rejects the things inside the camp, the things of this world and embraces Christ and his atoning work, the true altar, our author says, that is outside the camp. Well, the backdrop to chapters or verses 10 through 13 is the Old Testament annual day of atonement, Leviticus 16. Here the priests were not, although they were able to eat the sacrifices from various other sacrifices, they were not to eat of the sacrifice made on the Day of Atonement, the the sin offering. They were to slaughter the animal, take its blood. The high priest would go in and sprinkle it on the horns of the altar. But the body of that sacrifice would be taken outside the camp to the place of, of unholiness, uncleanness, reproach, and stigma, and burned, incinerated there. And the author here makes a parallel between the body of that sin offering being taken outside the camp and burned, with Jesus being rejected by the religious elite, and taken outside the city gates of Jerusalem, outside the camp, and hung on a cross, crucified on Calvary, outside the camp. That was viewed as the place of unholiness, of reproach, and of stigma. F.F. F. Bruce observed what was formerly sacred, the temple inside the camp, was now unhallowed because Jesus had been expelled from it. What was formerly unhallowed, that is, outside the camp, was now sacred. And Bruce says, because Jesus was there. Rick Phillips captures the author's point by stating this. Outside the camp is where we go to find the grace of God. For that is where the cross was raised, where God meets with us to forgive our sins and to accept us in the righteousness of the Son, whom the world despised. You may not approach his cross by staying within the safe confines of the worldly city. The cross is found outside the camp. If we want to be joined to Christ and his salvation, there is no way for us to avoid bearing the disgrace with which he was sent outside the camp. The author of Hebrews exhorts his readers that it is wrong. It is heresy to continue to continue to attempt to, to stay connected to the old ways of the Mosaic law. It is time, he would say, to permanently break with the thinking and behavior that salvation was by the blood of bulls and goats in any way. He called them to be oriented towards outside the camp where the cross was raised and Christ was offered up as a sacrifice for our sin, where Christ offers grace to those who turn and go to him outside the camp. The author calls us to be focused outside the camp, identifying with Christ's stigma gladly, being rejected by the world as he was, no longer seeking the things of the world, no longer seeking the approval of men, no longer depending on works, righteousness, in the things of this world, but to seek the city, verse 14, that is to come by fleeing to Christ, by embracing him for salvation, by receiving his grace that saves us and empowers us to live as his saved people. Living as a pleasing sacrifice to the Lord is living empowered by grace received outside the camp from Christ himself. And then thirdly, what are we offering to God? A dead sacrifice like that sin offering or a living sacrifice pleasing to the Lord? Look at verses 15 through 16. A life of sacrifice that is pleasing to God is a life offering praises to God and a life doing good and sharing with others, both through Christ. Verse 15 begins, "...through Him, through Christ, having received grace through faith in Christ, depending wholly on His merit, we are empowered to continually offer up our lives as a living sacrifice." And let let me ask us, even this morning, have have we come to worship this morning through Him, through Christ? Whatever we do in this space, this sanctuary, here in corporate worship, is acceptable only because we worship first according to the Scriptures and first (laughs) through Christ in Him. And through him, through him, we continually offer up our lives as, a li- as living sacrifices. Not only are we offering up worship in this corporate setting this morning, every week, through Christ, but we are to continually offer up worship as living sacrifice through Christ th- later on this afternoon and the remaining six days until we come again to corporate worship. I believe this is what Paul meant when he said, Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to the worldly standards. Turn from the worldly standards. Turn from the world. Go to him outside the camp and receive his grace and there find all you need to continually offer up yourself as a living sacrifice acceptable to the lord our whole life is to be an offering through christ by faith depending on his merit empowered by his grace specifically the author tells us we're to offer up a sacrifice of praise the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name and actions actions in doing good and sharing what we have with others These are sacrifices, Arthur says, that are pleasing to God. They are pleasing to God because they are offered through him by faith, fueled by grace. And notice not any words of praise will do. Our words of praise must acknowledge his name. That is, reflect who God says he is in his revealed word. For example, Hebrews 12, 28 through 29 cause us to offer acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for God is a consuming fire. If you go to the Psalms, you'll find great ways, many helps that guide us how we are to offer up a sacrifice of praise that acknowledge his name rightly. It's interesting that the writer here caused the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips. This is actually taken from Hosea 14 and verse 2 that Jason read earlier. And there what I believe Hosea is doing is to show that the offering of animal sacrifices has been replaced by the fruit of our lips. By living sacrifices, offering up praise in God's name. And the author calls us to offer up sacrifices of actions, doing good, sharing what we have with others. You know, last week we, we considered that first virtue, brotherly love, and, and I believe that kind of encompasses doing good and sharing what we have as well. We reflected last week on one way that we can show brotherly love is to participate in the crates for Ukraine that, that was mentioned earlier this morning. Love our brothers in Ukraine by meeting their needs, by doing good to them, by sharing with them what, what we have. But today I want to focus on another example of how we might Be a living sacrifice, offering up pleasing actions to God, doing good and sharing with others in actions fueled by grace and offered through Christ by faith in championing the sanctity of life, especially the life of the unborn. We can do good by affirming and by living consistent with what the Bible says about the sanctity of life. We can take actions to promote the sanctity of life. We can stand against abortion. We can minister grace to those who have been wounded by abortion. We can share our resources with those ministries like Deeper Still and Caring Hearts and other ministries that are joining hands together to fight for life and to stand against abortion in our land. We can vote consistent with a pro-life agenda. Yes, I said vote consistent with a pro-life agenda. We can speak out respectfully to those in power for life and against a culture of death. And we can declare the good news of the gospel boldly. Are we living, doing good, and sharing with others? These are just a few examples. <clears throat> in closing, I just want to reflect with you for just one moment about that question, what are we offering to God? I hope I've given you some help in answering that, that question. But let's face it. Whatever we offer to God, our our sacrifices, our sacrifices of praise, our actions of sharing and of doing good through Christ, done by faith, done, fueled by His grace, will yet be imperfect and flawed. Our offering of living as a sacrifice May look to God even worse in comparison to those little pictures that our grandchildren drew that you would look at and say they belong in the trash. But it's the relationship that makes the difference. God will be pleased with our imperfect, flawed offerings of the fruit of our lips and actions in doing good and sharing with others as we do them by faith in Christ, through Christ, empowered by His grace that is received outside the camp. I don't know what you think about this, But I am confident that God does not have a refrigerator in heaven. He doesn't need one. But if He did have a refrigerator in heaven, do you know what would be on it? The imperfect, flawed sacrifices of praise and actions of His people. Be encouraged, trust Jesus. Through him, fueled by his grace, seek to do good and to offer up the fruit of your lips in praise to him. Living as a sacrifice that is pleasing to the Lord is by faith through grace that is received from Christ outside the camp. Let us pray. Father, would you be kind to fuel us with your grace Give us a, all that we need to live through Christ. And, Father, though we know our, our efforts are so weak and frail and imperfect, yet, Father, we trust you, as your word says, that as we come by faith in Christ, fueled by his grace, you will be pleased with the sacrifices of our lips and our hands. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your hand, and turn.